Would you be mad at me if I said I didn't record any of this? Oh, wait, what? Welcome, everyone, to History Hour. This is an hour that we spend with your favorite historians, history content creators, authors, and anyone involved in history. I am so excited today because I have Dan. Full disclosure, we did a whole episode, realized I wasn't recording, so now we're doing it again. So, Dan, you had your rehearsal. I hope you're ready. <laughs> well, <laughs> it happens. It, it does happen. I, I mean, I don't know when it ended, but we're we're going to do it again. And, you know, that's just how it goes. This is that we do this live. It's not scripted to everyone. So there we go. But Dan, I'm really excited to have him on. He has a YouTube channel, Battlefield Curator, and he talks about mostly antique firearms, firearms. We are Second Amendment enthusiasts here. So I am super excited to have him on before we bring Dan on here though. I do want to remind you all that our road trip is still continuing. We're just finishing up Gettysburg, but we are headed out West to Arizona. There will be a couple of, uh, vlogs coming out on, uh, coming up on historical USA road trip. We're going to Picacho Pass for all of you Civil War buffs out there. We've got the Pleasant Valley Wars, the deadliest family feud in history. Yeah, those Hatfields and McCoys don't have anything on the Tewksburys and the Grams. Mm -hmm. And we are also going to the Arizona State Capitol and talking about the USS Arizona. So I hope you guys are excited about that one. We also have the Historical USA Road to Revolution podcast Still going on. New episodes will be coming out uh, every Thursday, every other Thursday, excuse me. And we are starting to get into the French and Indian War. This is the foundation of America here. So I'm really excited to get uh, into that war. Talk a little bit about uh, George Washington, um, how he overcame failure to be one of the greatest leaders America ever had. So really excited to talk about that. Now that that housekeeping is out of the way, Dan, welcome back for the second time. This time we are recording, <laughs> so right. I will keep an eye on it so it doesn't stop recording in the middle of us. But thank you so much for coming on. Introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do, what your channel is all about. All right. Dan here with Battlefield Curator. Uh, started on Instagram, actually, uh, about six years ago or so. Um just posting photos of military weapons and was really interested in military history. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, ever since I was a kid, I would go to like surplus stores and I would see all these like old military uh, surplus items and, and bayonets. And I'd, I'd be like, Whoa, what, that's really cool looking, you know? And then you know, I'd be interested in, in learning more about them. And, you know, the guy behind the counter might talk about it a little bit, you know? Um, so I'd, I'd gather some stuff up, you know, always been into uh, filmmaking um, and I definitely like Steven Spielberg's style of filmmaking um, the films that he's produced I, I studied him when I was in high school and so I've I tried to replicate that with an early YouTube channel um, so when I was when I was in high school and, and you know throughout the years while I was still in the army and stuff you know I film uh, short films and put them on my YouTube channel well 
I started the Instagram channel and stopped focusing on the YouTube channel. But then I realized, hey, I got to transition my YouTube channel into Battlefield Curator. So that's what I did. Uh, so um, I've been uh, the YouTube channel has been going for two years now. And uh, pretty much about military weapons, uh, battlefield tours, military history, uh, just sharing history through uh, uh, the military uh, for military enthusiasts and uh, weapons as well. So, yeah. That, that's really awesome. And I have to congratulate you because Battlefield Curator on YouTube just reached 50,000 subscribers. That is quite a milestone. So congratulations. Yeah, thanks. thanks. Yeah. Well, thanks to all my subscribers and uh, folks out there watching my content. I just never realized how much people would really want to watch me on screen. So yeah. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. That is definitely a, a an accomplishment to be proud of. Um, as you grow, grow your channel. Now you're in, you're interested in film. You said you went to school a little bit for film. Is the world war II Steven Spielberg films kind of what you gravitate towards? Cause what he did saving private Ryan. And I know he produced yeah. a lot of band of brothers, but mm -hmm. so, yeah, do you have um, a favorite Spielberg film. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say I have a favorite Spielberg film. I don't really have favorites, uh, but I do enjoy watching Saving Private Ryan. I do enjoy um, the movie Platoon. Um, I do enjoy um, Band of Brothers, The Pacific. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of those films that I watched. I mean, <clears throat> even some of the more modern ones like Dunkirk, I thought was really well shot. Um, not not the Steven Spielberg style, but still uh, it was shot really well. It kind of kind of reminded me of some times that I had in Iraq, so. That that was interesting mm -hmm. that it you know for being a military veteran trying to connecting to a, a movie like that, um, so yeah, um, but just yeah, just filmmaking. I, I got into special effects, and visual effects. Um, I got into just making. There's a, there's one or two on my channel. You could probably still scroll all the way to the bottom and still watch if you mm -hmm. wanted to. Have you seen um, Oppenheimer? I have not. Um, usually, I just wait for a movie to like go on streaming. I don't really like to go out there and. Going yeah. to crowds and wait for you know wait in line you know um, I just wait till it's available in my home theater so yeah home well theater. there's some good ones coming out I I know that Napoleon is also coming Napoleon out Napoleon looks really good yeah and I, I military historians are nerding out hardcore for that <laughs> one before it's even come out they've been <laughs> I noticed oh, yeah. that a couple of uh, historians on YouTube have kind of reacted to the trailer and oh yeah they're really yeah. looking forward right. to you gotta to think about napoleon history is also part american history you know yeah so well the napoleonic wars were, were pretty brutal so mm -hmm. um i know a lot of um historians military historians are big napoleonic war fans they study it mm -hmm. they know a lot about it so you know i can see why they're they're really really excited about that oh yeah oh yeah um, so you said you you used to grow you grew up going to a lot of military surplus stores, and I noticed um, it seems as though a lot of those military surplus stores that were around when I was a kid because I used to go with my mm -hmm. dad who is also an army veteran and my uncles who are also army veterans. I'd, we'd go to military surplus stores, and it seems like when I went back, a lot of them are kind of disappearing. They're mm -hmm. like going out of business. I don't know if that is that something that you see happening a lot, or do you see more more people getting into that? I'm seeing it too here uh, in the south, um, and and um, 
really what it comes down to for surplus stores in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to think like way back uh, during that time frame, World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War, there was a ton of military items available. There was a lot of soldiers that would go to war and come back and a lot of their equipment was uh, outdated or it was uh, not serviceable anymore <clears throat> or the military was getting rid of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then a lot of collectors now pretty much bottom up throughout the, the last decades, the last few decades. Um, and, and with the store specifically, uh, they're not really that profitable anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a few stores that I know and they're talking about closing. There's one that's on the verge of closing. There's one that the guy passed away and his son was just never, never um, opened it back up. He just kept all his stuff and, and just actually he, he actually liquidated it to other like military enthusiasts and, and donated stuff. Um, so with the stores themselves, it's, they're trying to compete with online as well. So like you can have a warehouse and not have to uh, pay for like a storefront and have it managed. You can just, you know, run it, operate it from online. So a lot of military surplus you can find online now if you want to and they're going to go for higher prices too because a lot of the good stuff has pretty much been scooped up so um but yeah yeah just hard to compete and and surplus prices and and uh the demand for some of those older surplus things have gone up as well and yeah not too not too much real surplus out there these days yeah so how long have you been collecting uh firearms antique firearms i've been collecting for probably around I want to say, I mean, I've always been interested in firearms, but because I was in the army, I never really got a chance to, um, a chance to, to purchase weapons, military weapons and keep them where in my house. So, uh, I'd say 2016 because I was living on base on base. You have to go through like and get paperwork and, uh, you have to, uh, get approval. So I wasn't really big into it at that time. Yeah. But, uh, once I moved into a house off post, that's when I started, uh, saying, okay, I live off base now I can start having my guns back. And so I got some ship from Florida and went around town and was like, man, I've always wanted this. So, and uh, this has been on my radar. So, yeah. Okay. So, um, for anyone interested in starting a firearm collection, not like a firearm collection, but particularly those those older, more antique um, firearms. Like, what advice would you give someone looking to start collecting? So, um, do some research. Uh, that's the first thing if I would do. Um, now, obviously, most people probably just go to a store and see something they they find in a video game or a movie, and they say, "Oh, I want that," and they don't do any research. Don't even check to see if it functions well, or they just take the gun shop's word for it, or you know. Um, but yeah, definitely do some research about the weapon system, how it operates. Um, a lot of people think, uh, uh, you know, an M1 Garand is uh, out of reach for them because you can you can go to a store and you can see them for like two thousand, three thousand dollars. Well, if you really want an M1 Garand, there's places that you can go that you can find them cheaper. Um, the Civilian Marksmanship Program is a nonprofit, government chartered organization that specializes in training firearm enthusiasts or um, youth in firearms. They also make money off selling military surplus rifles and other surplus. Mm-hmm. So you can go to their stores or you can go on their website and you can order you, if you meet the requirements, an M1 Garand. And you're, th- you're talking like 700 bucks at the cheapest. So uh, when it comes down to it, 
it's going to be a lot cheaper to get into one of those than it is to uh, buy one in a store or buy one online or even a pawn shop. So, um, and then you can all, if that has a problem with the rifle, you can ship it back to them and they can fix it or they can, if you know what's wrong with it, they can send you the parts. So. Awesome. Awesome. I, um, I believe I was telling you before I said, my husband has always wanted one particular firearm and that is a Mosin Nagant. And yeah. <laughs> we were talking a little <laughs> bit off screen before we started this yeah. on that. He's wanted one forever. And it was like the last time I checked, the prices were a little higher than I wanted to spend. So what is the market like for firearms, particularly antique firearms? I know it's probably more like supply and demand, but mm -hmm. have you noticed it inflating, going down? I mean, what's the market like right now? So currently, um, but we just go back to the uh, prior pre-pandemic. There was a lot of these rifles that were sitting around. They weren't really getting bought up. But during the pandemic, a lot of people got stimulus money. A lot of people got um, a bigger paycheck from, uh, from um, what's it called? Um, uh, uh, what's it called? When they, when they work and you get paid to not work. Uh, what's it called? Oh. Unemployment. You would get a yeah. lot of unemployment money. And so they had more money to throw around. So when they see these old rifles that they were at once were probably unattainable for them price-wise, they can now say, oh, yeah, I'll just scoop that up and mm -hmm. scoop this up. And then you had in uh, survivalists, you know, people looking for survival rifles. So you had a lot of enthusiasm for weapons. I mean, the, there, was, there was a reason why uh, pan the pandemic broke records for uh, the number of background checks conducted um, in, a, in a single year. Yeah. Um, so a lot of enthusiasm for firearms and, and weaponry and, uh, a lot of people were staying at home, not doing much anyways. And they were probably watching and playing a lot of video games, watching movies, playing a lot of video games. But uh, after the pandemic, uh, you know, things started getting back in the swing of things and, and people realized, oh, I don't have all that dispensable money anymore. So, mm -hmm. um, and, and because of the supply and demand during the pandemic, a lot of these rifles price-wise started going up like a lot, like the yeah. Mosin Nagant, uh, used to be able to find them. Uh, for around 400 bucks uh, prior to the pandemic, after the pandemic, or during the pandemic, it was like, you know, a thousand bucks at most, like 900. I seen them sell for this much, not just what they were listed on on Gunbroker, but I seen them sell for uh, almost a thousand dollars. Yeah. Which is crazy to me. I never, I never thought like a, a standard M9130 model Mosin would sell for that much. And, uh, but it did. And uh, fast forward to today, because uh, the enthusiasm for paying so much for one of those rifles has gone down. You know, I was really enthusiastic about that. Um, you can get them for around 300 at the lowest. I've seen the, the lowest around 300. Uh, so uh, they've, they've come back down now. So okay. you just got to so, go look around. So you're telling me that, that the, the gun market has gone down unlike the housing market. That's really good to hear. Yeah. How's yeah. the ammo? Can you buy ammo now? So the prices <laughs> on ammo is still pretty relatively high and it's still hard to find. Yeah. Um, and, and to go back to the surplus weaponry and the surplus firearms, there are still places out there that have really high prices and there are still some people that have really good incomes that'll still buy them. So yeah. um, it, not everywhere you go, you're going to see lower prices. So, but you, you know, there are places to, to find them. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. Um, so I know that your channel, you do a lot of uh, battlefield tours. You kind of go and travel around a little bit. 
Um, I know that you were in Gettysburg and you went to the big reenactment, uh, one of the big reenactments. There was a few of yeah. them. Um, and I wanted to ask, have you ever reenacted before? No, I haven't reenacted. The closest I've come to reenacting is is acting in my own short films that I used to make and um, and some other people's films. Um, so like trying to research the costumes and trying to get it right is is a lot of money. So mm -hmm. I, you know, I would take shortcuts and try to make things look somewhat authentic. So yeah. those reenactors really got to give it out to them. They volunteer their time. They run around sweaty on a battlefield wearing authentic clothing that costs a lot of money. And uh, it's out of their pocket. They're not getting paid for a lot of that stuff. So, yeah. Okay. If you could, if you did reenact, what would you go as? Like, what <laughs> kind of uniform would you try to, to oh, replicate? <clears throat> um. <clears throat> I'd probably, I'd probably go for, so I was, a I was first cav at Fort Hood. So, uh, I might go for like, a maybe a Vietnam war era uh, cav guy. Yeah. That's cool. You know, I, you know what? I don't think I've seen many, if any Vietnam reenactors. I've seen some living know. historians. Maybe, so. maybe not. I, maybe we'll see more of them now. Yeah. Yeah, there are there are some reenactments out there. I think I know one guy that has done Vietnam reenactments, and um, he's done World War II ones. But you don't really hear about those too often. You hear a lot about the Civil oh. War ones, but you you know you really have to go find out where and when that they'll have these World War II reenactments and these Vietnam War reenactments. And you might see some Revolutionary War reenactments as well. Have you ever seen a real a Revolutionary War reenactment? Yeah, yeah, I have. I think, you know, it's, I think it's easier to do reenacting for like the Civil War and the Revolutionary War since those wars were like fought on American soil. Yeah. But like World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, that's like fought away from the United States. So I can, I can kind of see why we don't yeah. see them as often and see more of the Civil War. I will tell you the thing that I think kind of struck me when I was in Gettysburg finding foreigners like English and Australian reenacting American civil war battles. That was oh, weird wow. to me. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this is a place to be a reenactor in the U S I mean, yeah. uh, who knew? I, I didn't yeah. know that was like a, a yeah. thing that they would. That I've heard would in Europe, they do a lot more world war two reenactments. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I could yeah. totally see why they would, they would do that. Mm -hmm. Um, like I, I was telling you earlier, I said, you know, when I went to Gettysburg, which by the way, Gettysburg, no one prepares you for. Like it was my first time at Gettysburg mm -hmm. and I had been to other Civil War battlefields before like Antietam and um, Manassas and, you know, Camden or, or, well, yeah, I did go to Camden and Cowpens where I got chased by a turkey. Cowpens, <laughs> a, a turkey chased me off the battlefield. Wow. So that yeah. was memorable. But um, <laughs> uh, when I went to Gettysburg, like for the first time, I had no idea what I was prepared for, like mm -hmm. what to prepare for. I should have done my research, my due diligence. I knew about Gettysburg, but the like sheer weight of how many monuments oh, yeah. are in Gettysburg and how much the town identity is wrapped up in the battle itself mm -hmm. was incredible i don't think i've ever seen that anywhere where else before yeah yeah it's pretty intense yeah definitely have, yeah um have you ever been anywhere that you've like kind of got that same feeling 
Yeah, Chickamauga is very uh, relatively similar. Similar. Oh, really? There's, it's just all these trails with all these monuments, and I decided it'd be a great idea to go run a trail and come back and realize that this trail actually goes a different direction than what I thought it went, and I was going <laughs> to be on there for many miles if I didn't turn around. Yeah, so you got lost in Chickamauga? <laughs> I wouldn't say a loss. I just decided to uh, not use my uh, my GPS apparatus. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that you are starting to do more traveling on your YouTube channel. So mm -hmm. where are some of the places that you have gone that have kind of inspired you, left you speechless that you think people should go and see? Uh, yeah. So there's uh, definitely check out Gettysburg. Um, yeah. It's one of those places that is just, I mean, you, you see it in, um, uh, what was that movie with Denzel Washington? Um, Remember the Titans, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it had a lasting impact on uh, the U.S., you know, is the largest battle fought in the Civil War. Um, and then when you look at um, when you look at uh, when you look at other places in the U.S., you know, uh, I would say the uh, Western Heritage Museum in Oklahoma City. That one uh, was pretty intense. Uh, if you really want to immerse yourself in in Wild West heritage, definitely check out that one. Yeah. Uh, there's so much and there's so much history in there and they go in depth about all kinds of stuff like native american history uh even even the uh, spaghetti westerns they they talk about those a lot yeah it's mm -hmm. in the displays yeah yeah if you like spaghetti westerns you should definitely go to sedona arizona oh sedona that's that's where they filmed a lot of those spaghetti westerns was sedona arizona it's like that's mm -hmm. where like the red rocks are it looks like mars oh wow up there it's so crazy it's one of my favorite places like in terms of natural beauty sedona arizona is like up there it's one of my mm. favorite places harper's ferry would probably be like a second uh -huh. i would definitely say if you get the chance to go to harper's ferry go do it especially in the fall because it was so beautiful mm. but yeah sedona they've got um it's really interesting because sedona arizona is kind of like a hippie town yeah and so, like, they have alien stuff out there. There's like, oh, okay, yeah. And yeah. so that's like a big thing, and and some other stuff. And so they've got like, like this weird hippie kind of alien thing. But then on the other side, there's all these like spaghetti westerns because the Italians would go out to Sedona, Arizona, and they would film all these movies hmm. that they would would put out nice. there. So there's a there's a museum there that you can go to that has like props and stuff from some of these old, yeah, old spaghetti western yeah movies from the early 20th century early 20th century yeah yeah i'd have to go out there again and check that place out yeah uh so i, I was in arizona for about a year and uh saw tombstone and saw bisbee and i'd recommend that to people if they're out there in the west area and they really want to see some western heritage and kind of yeah. get that culture you know i mean those towns are just out there in the middle of nowhere it's, it's i know interesting yeah Get out to Tombstone. You blink, you'll miss the shootout at the yeah. OK Corral, though. I think, like, American culture, because so my grandmother, my family's from Arizona, oh, and okay. like old family from Arizona. My great grandmother was in Tombstone during the OK Corral. She was like, What? Well, no way. Yeah. Because her dad worked wow. out at the silver mines. Your family and, lived in uh, Tombstone? Wow. Oh, yeah. During. She probably knew, she probably knew Wyatt Earp. Um, yeah. So, like, it was funny because. You go there, if you've gone to Tombstone, they have what's called like the Wyatt Earp days. Uh -huh. Like any time of the year you go to Tombstone, it is Tombstone. Like it uh -huh. is cowboys. It is, 
you know, the, the city, it's pretty touristy. But when you go to White Earp Days, it, it's like Tombstone on another level. Uh-huh. So, um, but we went out there and they have the uh, reenactment. Reenactment. Yeah, yeah. It's literally like 30 seconds. It's yeah, the like they yell at each other for a second <laughs> and then they turn around, they shoot, and then like that's it. It's oh, like wow. that was how quick the shootout at the OK Corral was. Yeah. So, and that's a pretty accurate representation. It's like 30 minutes wow. um, long. So it's, uh, or 30 seconds long. But Bisbee is a really cool town too. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know if you were you stationed there in the army. Well, I was at uh, Fort Huachuca for about a year for training. Yeah, so, yeah. Fort Huachuca is where the Buffalo Soldiers trained. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's got some pretty cool. So that's where I was. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I saw Bisbee once, and you know, visited. You know, I didn't really visit too much, but I, we we drove around a little bit, and uh, there's a lot of historical places out there. Ate at a restaurant there that was pretty unique. So, yeah, for uh, that. My husband worked for Pima County Sheriff Department hmm. and like Ajo was part of like his um, where he could end up going. And we were like, please do not go to Ajo, Arizona. Like, please do not go there. It is hot. It is sweaty. It is sandy. I was like, no, please don't. Oh, wow. Yeah, my family, um, my family's from Yuma. Arizona. So if you've mm-hmm. ever like been there, I call it the armpit of Arizona because it is like <laughs> hot. And like that's where they filmed Star Wars with the oh, sand dunes. Wow. Yeah, Tatooine, yeah. I think, was the planet. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. You can yell at me in the comments, Star <laughs> Wars people, if I offended you. Um, mm. but yeah, so like they filmed that out there. But we used to go to like the old Yuma County jail. Mm-hmm. And like that's supposed to be really haunted. And it is a creepy building if you ever got out to Yuma. Um, but Bisbee is also pretty creepy because it's like one of the most haunted places in America. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, I didn't even know that. I knew that I saw, I saw stuff like haunted stuff out there, but I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Like a lot of like, you know, artists have kind of invaded Bisbee, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, like it's, uh, it's got a really creepy history. Like the town burned down twice in like two years. Oh, so wow. like the, they had a big mining accident. And then there was something about the mine that caused the um, town to be set on fire. So the whole town burned down. They rebuilt it. And then the town caught fire again like a year later. And a lot of people like died. Wow. So, I mean, it was like third time's a charm. It's still standing. (laughs) So, you know. No fire yet. No fire yet. Knock on wood for anyone living in Bisbee. But. But it is a really interesting town. I think Arizona's got one of the weirdest histories of like any state I've ever been in. Yeah, Just yeah. Weird. Another, history. another place I went out. I mean, it's got a lot of Native American history too, because I went out there as a the um, Montezuma, um, where you have the, yeah. uh, the the pretty much the dwellings within the cliffside. Like that was really cool, really yeah. unique. Yeah. Montezuma's Castle. Then they have Montezuma's Well, which is like right down. Kind of like if you walk further down, you'll see Montezuma as well. Mm-hmm. Or drive further down to Payson, I think, is on, on the way. But yeah, yeah um, Montezuma's castle, though, they only inhabited that area for like not even a century. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. it just really, I think it just was not feasible. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've watched, but, uh, I've watched a documentary about um, tribes out there and how how 
hard it was to produce crops out there and how hard it was to farm out there and, and find food. So I can imagine it, you know, I could see like why they would move, you know, either it might be a religious reason or maybe just that, you know, drought war, lots of wars. There was wars too, yeah. Wars warring tribe. On. I mean, um, like I was just down in Tucson and went to uh, San Javier de Bac, which mm. is like, it's this cathedral, essentially this Catholic church that is super old, like mm. 15th century, built by the Spanish. You walk in and it's like you're in a cathedral in Spain. It has oh, wow. very heavy influences, but it's on the um, Tohono Onam reservation and the tribe still keeps it up and they still worship there they're catholic so it's one of also like the biggest the oldest working catholic hmm. churches in america oh wow yeah but um its founder was um padre kino which is like a big uh he was a big missionary in the southwest mm -hmm. during spanish colonization in the 1500s so oh, okay yeah, it, I mean, Arizona's got a really old history, but it, it, unlike the East Coast in America with yeah. that colonial history, not much of it is still around. Like you have some ancient dwellings like Montezuma's Castle. There's also a really, really old building in Coolidge, Arizona, that's supposed to be the oldest building in America. Hmm. And it used to be a Spanish mission from like the early 1500s. That's yeah still around it's just ruins it's um but it's in coolidge arizona i think so yeah i mean it's a really interesting um state a lot of old old cultures a lot of native american tribes that have disappeared out of the southwest mm -hmm. um, that they're uncovering they're still uncovering actually like they just found a whole new group of people that lived in the phoenix area really that wow. they had never heard of before that oh. was a, a Native American tribe that disappeared in that 15th, 16th century era. Like, like not to bore you, but yeah. in the, when the Spanish came into that Pueblo area, which is New Mexico, Arizona, California, um, when they first got there, they had writings of over like 300 different languages, Native American wow. languages spoken. And within a century, more than half of those languages had disappeared whether through disease or war, famine, oh, yeah. what have you. I mean, yeah, I can see so that. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of, um, a lot of like a lot of archaeology that just, there's no scholarship for, you know, it's like I was talking to my sister and um, there's all this kind of archaeology stuff that they're finding in the Middle East as, mm -hmm. as universities are, are um, <clears throat> funding those studies, but and in America, we don't fund our own archaeological studies here. So mm -hmm. um, speaking of archaeological study, I noticed that you also got to talk to some of the archaeologists in uh, South Carolina that uncovered those 14 Revolutionary War soldiers on the battlefield at Camden. Oh, yeah. Can you tell yeah. me a little bit about that and kind of what you guys talked about and what he told you? Yeah, so I got to go there. I didn't go there on the Saturday when they actually had the burials. I had other obligations that I had to uh, I'd take care of. But I went there on the Thursday when they opened, and I went there on the Friday. And the Friday, they had a lot of living historians there. They had um, uh, the archaeologists there. They had um, 
the coroner guys there. Um, so I talked to uh, the archaeologist, uh, lead archaeologist, James Legg. And, um, you know, he he was discussing how um, he'd been working on this project for over a decade, you know. So they've been working on this for, uh, for a very long time. Uh, just going there and, and trying to find out where there was major artifacts at and uncovering those. And uh, I don't want to say the artifacts they've uncovered so far have been in the thousands. Um, but it just oh, wow. it's taken it's taken uh, it's taken time and, and they're not really getting funded a lot. Of time. What he told me was like, you know, he would go there on, on his own time a lot of times and he would go there with other metal detectorists that he knew. He would go there with um, with other professionals that he knew, other historians, other uh, archaeologists, and they would they would just have an area set up already. They would say, okay, we're gonna we're so we're focusing on this area. We're we're gonna uncover you know this area or whatever. And, um, he even even uh, interviewed a lot of locals that had grew up close by the battlefield that knew a lot, and and so we interviewed them, and they obviously had gone out there and found stuff, and they had gone out there. So he he uncovered a lot of history uh, just on his own dime, mm -hmm. and his own time. That's an, that is an incredible story because I think the the other part of this story is so we know that they had used a lot of, of genetic testing to kind of mm -hmm. figure out who these people were. Um, for those of you that don't know, about last year they had uncovered um, I think we said fourteen as a fourteen fourteen um, Revolutionary War soldiers. Mm -hmm. um, there was one that was a Native American. Right. And and he really wasn't a soldier. They they think that he was uh, kind of attached to, or he worked with the um, the British, and uh, maybe like a, like a scout or a something, scout or a guide or yeah. something. Um, and so his remains got sent back to a tribe. I think the Catawba, the Catawba mm -hmm. tribe, um, uh, or the Catawba nation. Um, there was a, a Scottish Highlander that was found, and and they. Um, um, he was buried uh, properly, uh, and he had the uh, the Highlander buttons that were recovered on him, which is how they identified him uh, initially. And and then uh, the American soldiers and militiamen that were uncovered, they were uh, kind of uncovered on top of each other in, in a few different graves. So yeah, um, yeah, they didn't really get the proper burial um, that they deserved. Yeah. So. Um... So I can't imagine how painstaking that must have been to try to uncover these bodies and keep them oh, yeah. intact. Because, oh, I yeah. mean, I think it does show you, obviously, the, the Patriots lost Camden. So mm -hmm. the people that got to bury the Continental soldiers was the British. And they just kind of haphazardly threw them into these graves yeah, in the shallow graves or, into shallow graves and, and yeah. you know the animals would uncover them right and, and mm -hmm. some of the locals uh would go and then they would say uh this is not right so they would try to rebury them um mm. uh, at least some of them um but that was a very hard task to do was to you gotta think uh over 200 years of these uh these uh bodies on top of each other these remains on top of each other and james leg the archaeologist said that was the hardest part of the whole excavation uh, the whole project really is meticulously going through and trying to uh, uncover the remains without damaging them any further. Yeah. I think the other thing about this that I find this story so fascinating is the genetic testing aspect of it. Like they are now trying to find through genetic testing, 
relatives that are alive of these soldiers and trying to uncover who these men were. That mm -hmm. is an incredible feat that our technology nowadays can do something like this genetic testing and not only find these men's relatives, but find maybe who these men were oh, from, yeah. you know, through mm -hmm. whether it was through like muster records or what have you, that yeah. would be incredible. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that they do that research and can find yeah. who these men actually were. That would be really cool. The other thing I think really is really cool is that they identified them based on the buttons. Yeah. The metal yeah. buttons that, cause that was really, I mean, clothing decays after a while mm -hmm. and it's the buttons that really identified who they were. And I did some digging and it was the buttons were the, they were silver U S they said the U S U S on it. And they were gifted from France because hmm. you know they the continental congress they were so poor as a as a fledgling nation they could not afford to outfit everyone in a blue and white mm -hmm. continental uniform so especially in the south um and so they were really just kind of wearing their their regular clothes whatever yep. their militias were part of they might have had some insignia to identify that but that's long gone mm -hmm. but you know the buttons lasted and i thought that was yeah. that was really cool our our um continental army they couldn't get full uniforms but congress at least was able to yeah. give them that yeah. to identify themselves as and so and, i think that's yeah. kind of fascinating and now they got actual military burial for those soldiers um the, the scottish highlander they brought out a uh, a few of the scottish soldiers um and the american soldiers they they brought out a burial team from the u.s army to conduct the uh, proper um, military burial, and yeah. and so that was that and was pretty much funded by the U.S. Army, uh, as far as I know. So. That is so cool. I mean, that we were able that 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 happened, and I know that that Native American was given. Um, yeah, he was sent back. Right. His remains were sent back to the uh, a yeah. tribe, I think, within the Catawba Nation. I yeah, recall. and yeah. I think they had buried him with rites that would have been accustomed to to that yep. day, whatever that those burial rites were, which is, which is understandable. I think why they didn't film any of that. I know that you can go back and watch the whole um, ceremony on YouTube, which I think is really, really mm -hmm. cool. I think it's also cool that the Scottish Highlanders flew all this way to give their brother yeah. from, you know, 200 years ago, a, a proper send off and burial. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so back to firearms. There's one thing I did want to ask you. All right. Uh, you said you were in film. You you had done a lot of film. You're interested in it. Not that you had done a lot um, professionally, mm -hmm. but um, Alec Baldwin and his film <laughs> Rust had been in the oh, news man. lately. And, uh, you know, um, so I have to ask you, have you ever worked on films? Have you ever consulted with firearms or worked as an armorer? on any film so i've never worked like to yeah i've never worked on as an armor on films um but i was an armor in the u.s army i did uh, i was a secondary armor for two years while i was at fort hood and so one of the things uh and i've been on film set as a uh, production assistant or a drone camera guy so uh, one one thing that they really harp on that both the u.s army and a, a film production they do harp on safety and there's a lot of things in place to prevent accidents Mm -hmm. um and so in the film industry you have an armor and you have uh you have uh, 
that armor is in charge of the weapons and they have you know uh, a specific tasks they have to do to maintain that weapon and they have a lot of responsibility um now would i be um would i be an armor i don't know maybe um but i i don't know you know um i probably not i just like what i'm doing right now so yeah yeah that is really cool um i just have to say i don't know if you can if my microphone is picking this up but you got there thunder is, like really loud so yeah. I'm, I'm concerned well, I, I, I don't might... know if you can hear thunder here but i got thunder too <laughs> well yeah because i think the whole storm is on this, the eastern yeah seaboard. yeah so, so that just shows us how close we are really to each other <laughs> yeah i was like yeah. oh my gosh like that was that shook my house <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i'm like i'm wondering if that's picking it up um on that note before I lose power here, because uh, <laughs> I, I'm hearing the rain and it's getting quite crazy. And I do live yeah. on a, 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 a military base and we will lose power. So oh, wow. life on a military base. But <laughs> <laughs> before we go, though, um, or before I uh, hopefully don't get kicked off or my power goes out, because <laughs> I don't know if you could hear this. It's kind of wild right now. Um Tell us where we can find you. Mm -hmm. Tell us any if you have any projects coming up, what we can look forward to um, from you in the next couple months. All right. Battlefield Curator on YouTube. Battlefield Curator on Instagram. Battlefield Curator on Facebook. BF Curator on Twitter slash X, whatever is going on there. I mean, I don't really post there too often, but uh, really just YouTube channel, you know, just hit 50,000 subscribers. So, um, you know, I'm very thankful for the people that are following me and, and do enjoy my content. Um, I'm going to be working on a lot more uh, military history, battlefield tours, just touring around the country, trying to do some more uh, with uh, veterans, try to interview veterans, bring them on, and uh, just business owners that maybe have been veterans as well. Um, yeah. But I do still love the military surplus side of things, and each weapon has its own little piece of history and time. So uh, I think those are very unique as well. Yeah. Well, we will be keeping up with what's going on with you. And I have one more question yeah. to ask you. Now, if I come down to South Carolina, will you give me a lesson in some of these firearms and we can go shooting? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay. no problem. <laughs> okay, I'm going to hold you to that. All right, so all right, yeah. I look come forward on to it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I look forward to it. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm going to end it before I lose power because the <laughs> storm is raging outside. And I just want to say thank you so much again for being on. And anytime you want to come on History Hour, you are totally welcome. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Thank All right. you so much. Yep. Have a nice night, everyone. All right. Take it easy.